Great. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you here this morning. Uh, as I said, I spent eight, re- eight really formative years here as part of this church family. I'd been a Christian for one year when I moved to Leeds and joined City, and so I was just blessed to be just steeped in the gospel across eight years and, and just given a real wonderful example of what church family was all about. So it's a real joy to be with you here this morning. We're thinking about unity from Psalm 133. It's a short psalm, only three verses, but it is a deep psalm. It is a powerful psalm. We're going to think about three ideas. The power and the problem of unity, where we find unity, and then we're going to finish with what does this mean for us. So firstly, the power and the problem of unity. You see, I wanted to start here because I think that On one level, unity is something that all of us kind of understands to a certain extent. Everyone has some sort of idea as to what unity is. I think every human being understands that it's a powerful thing. Verse 1 of our psalm says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Your translation might say, How beautiful it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's the translators taking good and pleasant and putting them together to get beautiful. Through David, the Holy Spirit tells us that unity is valued. This is God speaking to us and saying that this is important, that it's significant. And that we don't really need to be persuaded of that this morning, I don't think. We know that in our own lives. Think of the people that you find deepest unity with. I wonder who springs to mind when you think, who are the people that I'm united, most united to in my life? Maybe you've got a best friend or some best friends that, that you think, yeah, they're, they're that person for me. That I, I, belong, I sense that belonging with them. And and they're so precious to me. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's church family. And there can be so much power in those relationships, can't there? Such significance. That sense of, of belonging, of who you are, of being built up and encouraged, of able to share more deeply what you struggle with. And of being pointed to God and encouraged in him. Sometimes the way we recognise how powerful unity is, is is when we don't experience it, when we lose it, and suddenly we're devastated. Think of David who wrote this psalm. He knew what it was for brothers to be disunited. His son Absalom murdered his son Amnon. And his son Adonijah would try and steal the kingdom from King Solomon. And that, that's, his, that's his children. It makes me feel so much better as a parent as I look at David's life. David knew how painful it was to experience disunity. And what about you? I think all of us experience a sense of brokenness here. Maybe it's with some of your best friends. I don't know if you've experienced losing a close friend 
Either they've passed on or just a relationship has broken down. That's happened to me with a couple of my friends in the last few years, and that was painful, and it still is painful. I have three children who are all in primary school now, and there is no end to the primary school drama of, like, who's friends with who? And, like, each day it's a different combination of, like, who's friends of who? Or, like, who's no longer friends of who? And just kind of the drama of it all. Sometimes it's not just the kids that fall out. The kids fall out and then their parents fall out. It's kind of totally amazing. You know, someone doesn't play with someone at playtime. Suddenly the parents are falling out over it. Honestly, how does this happen? What about in your family? Maybe you've experienced brokenness in marriage. Or maybe you're distanced from your own children or you've experienced bereavement. That can bring us such a depth of pain, can't it? For the wrong things that we've done, or the things that have been done to us, or just the sheer brokenness of this world. Maybe it's in church family. And I think this could be one of the ones we find most painful, because on the one hand, we look at the promises of the Bible, don't we? You look at the the picture the New Testament gives of the family of God, and it is glorious. It is so fantastic. Family together, united in Jesus, brothers and sisters in God. It is rich and deep and true. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes it feels so far from the reality that we live live through. And, And we feel so much pain that we're left reeling. We can feel hurt or bitter or even we just feel cynical. It's just just words. It's not what life is actually like. City Evangelical Church family, I know virtually nothing of what's gone on here in the past few years, but I know it's been hard. And I'm not taking sides. I don't know enough to take sides, but my heart has broken for you with the difficulties you've been through. And I've prayed and prayed for you guys. I've prayed so much. And the Lord would be with you and walk with you in this difficult season. So we feel the power, don't we, and the problem of unity. There is so much hope for us in Jesus. There is so much hope for us in Christ. You see, if all Christianity had to say was, look, unity is good, but it's a shame it's so hard, or let's just pretend the bad bits aren't there. Let's just paper over the cracks. Or if all Jesus had to offer was just try harder, then I wouldn't be offering you anything that you can't hear from a million other people. But thankfully and wonderfully, as we look at where we get unity, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us the deepest power, the greatest resource to find unity. Praise God. One that's not superficial. One that's not about pretending. One that goes to the heart of our problems and that brings us hope for the future. So look with me at how verses 2 and 3 tell us where we find this unity We see that it begins with God. Verse 2 takes us right to the heart of our problem, one of unity with God. And we've got to start there. Anything else misses the point. But listen again to verse 2. 
It describes unity as like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. You might think that sounds so weird. What on earth is this verse about? It is wonderful. It's strange, but it's a wonderful verse because it takes us right to the heart of the Old Testament temple. Aaron was the first priest appointed to represent God to his people and his people to God. Appointed by God to do this. You can read this in Exodus 28, 29 and 30. Aaron was the priest to carry out the sacrifices for the sins of the people. To pay for their turning from God to their looking for other things, looking for life in other things. That was their deepest problem and it is ours today. But Aaron through the priest, through the priest Aaron, God had made a way. Aaron would go into the presence of God and pay for these sins and reconcile the people back to God. In Exodus 29 verse 7 you're told, and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. You see, anointing Aaron was meant he was chosen and set apart by God. Specially presented by the Lord as the one who could go in and make the sacrifice. Chosen as a priest to enable unity between the people of God. And if you wonder what kind of oil this would have been, well, in Exodus 30, verses 22 and following, you're given the exact recipe for it. You can read it. You can see exactly how it was made. But they were only to use this oil for anointing the priest who would go in and make the offering. It wasn't to be used for anything else. There would have been a rich, distinctive smell to the anointed priest who was going to go in before the presence of God and make the offering to reconcile them to him. It would have smelled wonderful to the people of God. Reminding them of God's promise. A promise you see at the end of Exodus 29 where God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. What wonderful news this was and still is today. And so Psalm 133 uses Aaron, uses this image to celebrate. It's a song written to sing out in joy of God's kindness. We can be united to God. You see, that unity starts with God, but then it flows out to one another. That unity is so powerful, it cannot be contained. That's what verse 3 says in our psalm. It says it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The language of dew that falls down is used quite a few times in the scriptures. And it has the idea of the blessing of God, the kind blessing of the Lord descending down on his people. Verse 3 pictures this life-giving blessing coming down from God onto his people, coming from outside of themselves to fall on his people and to bring unity. You see that in the names of verse 3. Mount Hermon was up in the north and Zion was all the way down in the south. And what happens as the blessing of the Lord comes down? They're brought together. Can you see that? The dew of Mount Hermon falls on Zion. 
Now, when David, the writer of this psalm, became king, the nation was already in danger of splitting up. You can see that even when he was becoming king, the tribes came from the north and the tribes came from the south separately. They didn't come together, they came separately to recognise David. And yet through God's work and David's skill, the nation remained as one. And, And in part the reason for that, David writes this psalm to celebrate this great truth, to celebrate that the nation had stayed together during his kingship. And so here in verse 3, we have this picture of oneness. One commentator puts it like this. They say, it would be a miracle, of course. But then when enemies are reconciled, when coldness becomes love, when aloofness becomes closeness, when uncaring becomes concern, these things are all miracles too. By and under the blessing of God, his gentle, heavenly downpouring, Hermon and Zion are at one in shared blessing. And all of this, Psalm 133, points us ahead to the Lord Jesus. Aaron the priest points us to Jesus, our great high priest, the one anointed not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, our perfect priest, offering himself on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for sin. For our sin of failing to love God, for our sin of failing to love and cherish and fight for unity as his people. See, God says, how beautiful. And yet so often we think, I don't care that much. I don't care enough to lay myself down, to seek to forgive, or to ask for forgiveness, or to pursue reconciliation. Our problem, my problem, runs so deep, but the cross of Christ goes deeper still. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings a powerful unity between God and his people, flowing out to one another. And so Paul can say to the church in Ephesus, he can say, through Jesus, God is making one new people, one united people, a blood-bought unity, a spirit-empowered unity. You see, the oil that flows speaks not just of Jesus being anointed with the Spirit, but that he then pours that Spirit out on the church so that we are one household under Christ, bringing the presence of God into the midst of his people, the church of Jesus, bringing a power to live in unity, to fight for unity, even when we face the greatest challenges. So where do we find unity? We look to Jesus. And there we see the depths of our problem, of our sin, and yet we see the cross, the glorious cross of Christ that reconciles us to God and acts so powerful. It flows out into spirit-given unity with one another. So what does this look like? 
What does that mean for us now, for us today? Well, look, it starts with God. It starts with God. You see, because you and I have a sense of what unity is, because probably everyone in the world could give you some definition of it, we're always tempted to take our eyes off Jesus and kind of go, yeah, I, I know what unity is. I kind of know what it's about. But there's something different about unity in Christ. It's not like any other kind of unity in the world. You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus, here's what happens. We end up with a distorted understanding of unity. One that expects others to change to be like me. Be like, oh, I'm all for unity as long as you, you, you become like me. Unite around my preferences and my choices. That's what sin does in my heart. That's what it does in yours. Or one that says, yes, we'll unite, but we'll do it at the expense of truth. We'll push God's truth to one side. We'll be united, but, but we don't want truth to get in the way. We have to come back to God again and again. Unity starts with him. Three times in the psalm, you get the language of, of running down or falling down, twice in verse 2, describing the oil. Once in verse 3, describing the dew that falls on the mountains. It is a God-come-down unity. Found in Jesus Christ, who came down and entered our world. It is a paying-the-price unity that only Christ can do. And yet God in his grace and love delights to do it. He's not there just frowning at us, cross with us. He is so gracious and good that out of sheer love he would send his son and his son would go to the cross so that we can be brought to him, so he can win a people for himself. And so the more we celebrate Jesus, the more we rejoice in our heavenly father sending his son, the more we revel in being adopted as children of God, the more we live by the spirit, think of how that shapes our unity. That changes things, doesn't it? It's a unity that looks to our Father's infinite patience with me for the days when I feel short-tempered with someone else. It's a unity that sees God's gentleness and tenderness when I don't want to be gentle or tender with other people. As we look to Jesus and become more like him, so will our unity as well. So it starts with God, but then it goes deep into your life. Verse 1 of the psalm says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Did you hear that word? That word, brothers. It could be brothers and sisters. You could translate it that way. So City Evangelical Church family, those of you who know Jesus, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are, by the Spirit, family in the Lord. This is a holy, spirit-born reality, a living reality. It's true now, 
And so the encouragement of the New Testament of the Bible is live like it. Because it's who you already are. What a wonderful encouragement that is. Sometimes I think we take that and what we do is then we, then we set our expectations so high. We think, oh, if this is all true, then it should just be easy. And we're so discouraged when it's not. Let me encourage you, don't let that make you cynical. Yes, the picture is a glorious one, but it's not fully realized yet. We live in brokenness now. We battle with sin, but it is true. We are family in Christ. So live in the reality of that. Maybe your problem is that you've set your expectations so low. You feel jaded or even tempted to be cynical. Please don't do that. Don't give up on the church. It belongs to God. It is spirit-filled and so there is always hope. Remember, God finds it beautiful as he sees his family seeking to be united. And all of this can I encourage you to pray. One theologian says this, says, let the person who has the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of their hearts. Let them thank God on their knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. I'd love to encourage you to do this. Where you taste something of that unity, praise God for it. One of my temptations, I just think, that's just how it should be. I don't praise him for it. I think it's automatic, but it's not. Sin wants to tear that down. I think a posture that says, Father, thank you for that. Thank you, there's a moment of grace there where I've tasted some of that unity of my brothers and sisters. Turn that to praise. What a wonderful thing to do, to praise God for where he's done that. I think that gives us a more gentle spirit and encouraging spirit as we do that. We still see all the things that are lacking. We don't pretend they're not there we see the things that God is doing and we praise him for those and again he uses that to make us more like Christ so pray pray for a Psalm 133 unity and praise God for where you see it this is my great prayer for you as a church family for this kind of unity Psalm 133, spirit-given, unity birthed in Christ. But finally, look, this gives hope for the future as well. Did you see the end of the psalm, which says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's the hope that we look to. A hope that belongs to the future. We get a taste of it now. We experience some of it now, but it's imperfect. It's often broken. It's often painful. Sometimes it's glorious. But one day that will give way to an eternal time of perfect unity. So try and imagine that. 
On the days when you feel discouraged, take up Psalm 133 and say, Lord, this will be, this will be the people of God one day. It's hard to imagine a world, isn't it, where there are no broken relationships, where there is no relationship that breaks down, there's no sadness, there's no, I thought we got on and we've fallen out. That's gone forever. That's where our Heavenly Father will take us one day. That's where Christ will take his people one day. He will return and renew us and make all things new and we will enjoy this forever. Let that hope propel you forwards as you seek to live this out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for where we are indifferent to the unity that your scriptures hold up. Father, when we're cold-hearted towards one another, for the times when we think, um, I, don't, I don't really mind being disunited with, you, with your people, or when we think, yeah, I'll, I'll go for unity as long as it's on my terms, as long as they come to me and they fit in with me. Father, that's so not like Jesus. Would you forgive us for those times, Lord? Would you take us, take our vision to the Lord Jesus? Would you take us to the cross of Christ where we see the price you would pay through your son to reconcile us to you? Thank you so much for your love, Heavenly Father. I do not deserve that today. We do not deserve it. But you are that good and that loving and gracious and kind. Refresh our hearts with the wonder of being found in Jesus today. And Father, would that overflow into our relationships with each other. We can't stay the same when we know Christ. You change us to make us more like him. Father, I want to pray for this church family that they would, they would taste a sweetness of unity and know that that is precious, that is beautiful to you. Father, encourage them to, to see and to praise you for the times they taste that, to be quick to praise you rejoicing in your kindness and mercy. Give them endurance for the seasons where that is hard. Father, you see that. You see those moments and you delight in your people fighting for unity, striving to bear with one another, to love one another, to keep going. And Father, we can look forward to such great hope. One day Christ will return and we will know perfect relationship with you and one another forever. What a day that will be. One that stretches on eternally, that will only grow deeper and richer and more wonderful. Father, would that vision draw us forward in hope and in prayer and in a sacrificial love like our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.